Right. We're launching a new series today called The Making of Champions. And this series thrills me to the bone. I want to say we're only going to do it for like four weeks, but we might do it for 10 weeks. We just don't know at this point. Um, because this, this series is based on a, a book in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews. And in the book of Hebrews, the, the writer of Hebrews lists all of these champions of the faith. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets and all that. And they go through this list of all of these heroes, these champions of the faith. And then at the beginning of the next chapter, it says, then since we, talking about the current us, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, in other words, since all of these heroes and champions of the faith are now witnessing us, watching us, right? Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us put off anything that entangles us. Let us put off any sin that ensnares us. And then it says, let us run with perseverance the race that has been set before us. And then it tells us the direction that we should run. It says, fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. So what what it's saying in the book of Hebrews is, Uh, Don't just look at these ancient figures of history as if they're just some relics of olden times, the ancient folks of old. Look at them as models and and as examples for you running your faith, running your race in faith. And and so that's what we're going to do for the next several weeks. We're going to look at these champions of the faith um, because I believe that God wants to make each and every one of you champions of the faith as well. Amen, somebody? Amen. we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to dive in today, and I'm not going to preach long, I promise you, because we have communion today. So if I start preaching long, somebody's going to flash a card somewhere, there'll be some, Carol Cloud will probably run up and turn my microphone off. Um, but I want to start today by reading a pretty big passage of scripture and then get down into it and break it down. And the passage of scripture tells the story of the person who I want to start with today, who is called the father of the faithful, the father of the faithful. His name is Abraham. And we hear his story in Genesis chapter 22. Follow along with me as I read. It says this, sometime later, God tested Abraham. Somebody say tested. He said to to Abraham, he said, Abraham, here I am, Abraham replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. I want to pause for a moment here because there are two points I just want to quickly make. This isn't my sermon. This is just the lead up to the sermon, okay? But two quick points. Take your son, your only son, uh, Isaac, whom you love, and go to Moriah. So first of all, he says it's his only son. Now, some of us have read the scripture, and we know that Abraham actually had two sons. He had Isaac, and he had Ishmael. So why does God say your only son? Well, the two sons represent two different, um, two different uh, aspects of Abraham's life, let's say. There's the son of faithfulness, and then there's the son of unfaithfulness. So God had promised Abraham years earlier when he was much younger. He said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Out of your seed, many nations will be planted. The whole world will be blessed. As as a result, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. But as Abraham got older and older and older, he never had a son. And his wife never had a son. They didn't have a son. And at a certain point, his wife Sarah had reached a stage in her life where she could no longer bear children. 
And so she came to Abraham and said, look, I know, you're, I know God promised to make you the, you know, the father of many nations, but we, we, we haven't had any kids. So we may need to help God along in this situation. And so Sarah said, my handmaiden, Hagar, why don't you sleep with her, have a son with her, and maybe that's the way God will fulfill his promise. So Abraham said, okay. And so that's what he did. And he had a son named Ishmael, but that's not the son that God had promised him. So years later, what happened is that God opened the womb of Sarah miraculously at the age of 90 years old. 90 years old. Abraham's 100. And God gave them this son, Isaac. And then God says to Abraham, listen, you can't remain in relationship with your son, Ishmael. You cannot remain in relationship. I'm going to send him away. I'm going to take care of him. I'm going to make a great nation out of him. But because he was born out of your unfaithfulness, I want you to focus only on the son that you had that was born out of your faithfulness or rather out of my faithfulness, right? And so God sent Ishmael away and did not allow Abraham to have a relationship with his son, Ishmael. He did not allow him to have that relationship with that son. So when we meet Abraham in the story, he, no, he now only has one son. He only has Isaac. And, and, and the other point I want to make is that he says in the scripture, it says, and this is the son whom you loved. Did you notice that in the scripture? It says the son whom you loved. Can I just tell you this? We're in the 22nd chapter of the book of Genesis. This is the first time the word love is ever used in the Bible. First time the word love is used. God does not use the word love to describe the relationship between Adam and Eve. Doesn't use the word love to describe the relationship between Noah and his wife. Doesn't use the word love to describe the relationship between Abraham and Sarah or any of the kids and any of the parents. He uses the word love for the very first time in the scripture to describe the love between a father and his only begotten son. He uses the word love to describe the intimacy, the care that this father had for this son. Now, now, now we see that Abraham had already lost a son. And this was the son of promise. This was the, the miraculous son. So Abraham, all of Abraham's affection, all of his care, all of his love, all of his hope, everything is invested in this one child that he loves with a love that had never been described before throughout the scripture. And that's what makes the next line in this passage so terrifying. God says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, and sacrifice him on the mountain as a burnt offering on the mountain that I will show you. Now, I don't know about you, but I read this line and I just have chills all over. I just, I'm like, I'm sorry, you want me to do what, God? You want me to, like, like God, you, 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 want me to, you want me to take the one thing that I love, the one thing that I love so much, and you want me to sacrifice that child? Somebody say grace is free, but discipleship costs everything. So, so when we meet Abraham in this story, God is testing him. We see at the beginning, God is testing him to see whether he's willing to surrender everything that matters to him. The next verse says, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his, his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. And then he said something curious. He said, we will worship and then we will come back to you. Now that's interesting to me because God had just told him, go sacrifice your son on the mountain. And when Abraham told his servants what he was getting ready to do, 
he, he should have said, we will go there and I will come back to you. But he said, we will go there and worship and we will come back to you. We're going to come back to that in a minute. Verse 6 says, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. You see, Isaac is carrying the wood up the hill for his own sacrifice. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, he said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. And then the boy said, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb? For the burnt offering. Now, now, if it was me, this is where I would have tapped out. When the boy says, Dad, I, I see we've got the wood, you've got the knife, we've got the fire, we've got everything we need, but we don't have the lamb for the sacrifice. And I'm the father knowing that my son is going to be the lamb. I, I, for me, I would just be like, God, you know what? I love you. I want to obey you. I fear you, but I'm out. I can't do it. I cannot sacrifice at that level. I don't really care if I'm the father of many nations at this point. I, I just can't do it. But that's not what Abraham said. Abraham says in verse 8, Abraham answered his son and said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. I like the old King James on this because the King James says, God will provide himself a lamb. We start to see a picture of what God is going to do. Uh, and the two of them, it says, went on together. Verse 9. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Now, this is where you turn away. If this is a movie, you turn away. You, you just go, I cannot watch this. He took the knife, raised the knife to, sl to slaughter his own son. Verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Now, now, now if God calls your name twice, he wants your attention. Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham answered the same way he did the first time. He said, here I am. Here I am, he replied. When you say yes to God's trial, then he'll call you back when it's time for triumph. He said, here I am. And the angel said, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of, somebody say instead of, instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and you have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants, he said, will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Today for just the next few moments, I'm going to preach on the subject, this is only a test. This is only a test a test. Let's take a moment. Let's bow our heads one more time. Father, we pray, praise your name. We praise your uh, spirit. We praise you for being here with us today. I pray, Lord God, that you would fill my mouth with your words and you would fill our hearts with your spirit. 
You would open our ears to hear what you have to teach us. Uh, lead us, God, and transform us through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you live in the city of St. Louis, anywhere in the city of St. Louis, every first Monday of the month at 11 a.m. sharp, you will hear loud bleeding sounds, bleating sounds, loud sirens going off all around you every first Monday of the month at 11 a.m. And, and you might be tempted if you don't know the local government, you don't know the local practice, if you're not familiar with what's going on, you might think that there's a crisis happening. You might think there's an emergency. You might think there's a tornado. You might think there's something terrible going on. But actually what it is, it's a test of the emergency system of the city. All they're doing is testing the sirens to make sure that they work. Now, some of you will not remember this, but Back in, back in the olden days, before the internet, uh, every television station and every radio station used to have a test that they would play. So you'd be w- sitting there watching the game, you, don't, you didn't know when it was going to come on, and suddenly you would hear, beep, 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 and your screen would go into these kind of colors, and then suddenly it would say, this is a test of the emergency broadcasting system. And then you would wait for a minute, and then it would end like this. This is only a test. Does anybody remember that? Yeah. Amen. Uh, you got to go check it out on YouTube. I'm sure they've got it somewhere. <laughs> but it was, it was disruptive. The, the, the reason that they did it, however, was that they wanted a system where in case there was a national crisis, in case there was a war, something broke out, then the government could communicate to all of the citizens of the United States at once. And so every week, every radio station and every television station was required to run that test. All of us are tested many, many times throughout our lives. Babies are tested to determine whether or not they are developing as they are supposed to, even when they're in the womb. The doctors will come and they'll do an ultrasound and they'll test their height and their weight and they'll look at all of the different aspects of their health and make sure that the child is growing and developing as they should. When you're a child in school, you're tested to to determine whether or not you're ready to advance to to the next grade. When you want to go to college, you've got to take a, a test to get in. When you want to get out of college, you've got to, you've got to be tested to make sure that you're ready to graduate. Yeah. We all get tested all throughout our lives. Anybody ever test your patience? <laughs> Anybody have somebody in your life that just tests your, your patience? Are they sitting next to you today? Just, just be real. Can we just... <laughs> have, you, have you ever had a problem arise in your life that tested the extent and the capacity of your wisdom. You know, where, where, where you're facing, I've, I've faced difficulties, I've faced problems before where I'm like, I, I just don't know if I have the wisdom. This, te- this is a test of my wisdom to make a wise choice in, in this moment. Maybe some of you have a job or a boss that is testing your endurance. You're just, you're just seeing if you can get through it. We are all tested throughout our lives over and over in fact every day you are facing tests every single moment of your life you're facing tests over and over when we meet Abraham he is facing a test the ultimate test in the very first scripture in the very first line of this story it says God tested Abraham he was trying Abraham he was seeking to prove something in Abraham if you're taking notes just write this down tests don't build character they reveal it Tests don't build character, they, they reveal character. Have you ever seen a, a crash test on a, on a video of like when they take a car and they smash it into a wall to see if the, 
to see how strong the car is. Anybody ever seen that? Crash test, crash test dummies. Uh, not the band, the actual thing. Um, they, they, they'll take a car and they videotape it and they crash the car into a wall. And they're not doing that to build the strength of the car. They're doing that to determine or discover the weakness of the car. They're doing that to find out where is the car strong and where is the car weak. Because where it's strong, we want to fortify that. And where it's weak, we want to change that. That's, a, that's the test. That's the purpose of the test. The test is the prerequisite to progress. The test has to be performed because it's only in the test that you discover the truth. I think the Chiefs are going to play the Bengals today. That'll be a test, right? The practice field is where you get better. The, te- the, the, the playing field is where you see how good you got, right? That's, that's the test. And, and what's so exciting about a test, if you and I will understand and embrace tests as opportunities for discovery, then when we take a test, we will win whether we pass or fail. You say, what do you mean? Well, if we pass a test in our life, a character test, a, a, a test that challenges our faith, if we pass the test, the great thing about that is we get to move on to the next test. We get to advance to the next test. If we fail the test, but we understand it as an opportunity for discovery, then we get to see where we're weak so we can develop that area of our life so that we can take the test again and pass it the next time. So don't be afraid of tests. Don't run from tests. When I was younger, I was terrified of of tests. I was terrified of the kinds of tests that you take and you fill in the bubble and you had to try to, you know, answer the questions. And the reason I was afraid to take those kinds of tests is I was afraid what they would prove about me. I was afraid that if I took a test, standardized test, it would demonstrate something that I was worried about. It would tell everybody, you're not smart. You're not intelligent. You can't take, you, you're, you, and, and I had been doing well in school, and I thought, man, if, if I'm doing well in school, but I take a standardized test, and I turn out not to be so smart, then everybody will know that somehow I sort of hoodwinked everybody, and I somehow got into these classes, and I wasn't really smart enough to do it. So I avoided, I didn't, I wouldn't take the GRE, I wouldn't, ta- I would not take standardized tests, because I was too afraid. It wasn't until years, years and years later, when somebody suggested that I go to law school, that I realized I was going to have to take the LSAT, the law school admissions test, standardized test. And I thought, oh man, oh man. So what I did was I went and took a practice test. Somebody say practice test. And what I discovered is that I wasn't quite as dumb as I thought I was. But I did see some weaknesses. So I started to study and then I took another practice test and I did better. And then I studied some more and I took another practice test and I did better. And I studied some more and I took another practice. Finally, I took the real test and on the real test, I did better than I did on all the practice tests. In fact, I did so well on the final test that my instructor said, hey, would you like to come and teach the test? And so I went and started working for Kaplan Test Prep, teaching the LSAT to other kids, other students who wanted to take the test. Here's the thing. I was running from the test because I didn't want to know what the test was going to reveal. Don't run from the test. Because whatever you find out in the test, that's for your good. If you find out that you're not doing so well, that gives you an opportunity to grow. If you find out that you're doing great, fantastic. You get to move on to the next test. So do not run from tests. Abraham is being tested. He would not run from the test. And here's what I want want you to take away from this point. If you're in the middle of a test, 
Don't say, God, get me out of this test. Say, God, what do you want to grow in me through this test? What do you want to grow inside of me as a result of this test? Now, with Abraham, what's fascinating is that it seemed like he already knew the outcome of the test before he even took it. Let's go back to that verse in uh, verse 5. He said this. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we, we will come back to you. Now that's interesting because he should have thought that his son was going to die up on the mountain. But somehow he believed that even though he was willing to obey God's command to sacrifice his own son, that he and his boy would come back down the mountain. If you're taking notes, write this down. Faith in the promise comes from faithfulness in the process. Faith in the promise comes from faithfulness in the process. My son Augustine loves to go to trampoline parks. I've probably told you this before. He loves to go to trampoline parks and he wanted to learn how to do a backflip at the trampoline park. That's what he wanted to learn. And so he asked me if I would teach him to do a backflip. Or it may have been the other way around. I might have encouraged him to let me teach him. I, I can't remember. Not important. So we stood there at the trampoline park and, and this is how I taught him. I put one hand on his chest and the other on his lower back. And then we bounced like this. I said one, two, three, and then I flipped him over and he landed on his feet. And I said, let's do it again. And so we did one, two, three, and I flipped him and he landed on his feet. And we did that about 10 times. And then I took my hand off his chest. I just kept the one on his lower back. And we did one, two, three, and I still kind of flipped him and he landed on his feet. But over time, my hand on his back got lighter and lighter and lighter. Until finally, I was just touching his back, but I wasn't really assisting him. He was doing it on his own. And then came a time when I said, okay, I'm not even going to touch you. You've got this. And he tried it, and he landed on his feet. Why? Why did he trust me that he could do a backflip? Because, because of my faithfulness in the process, he was able to have faith in my promise. In other words, because we had done this together over and over and over, incrementally making it a little more difficult, a little more difficult, by the time it was time for him to do it, he was ready. He trusted in my promise because of the faithfulness of the process. You see, Abraham is being told by God to do something that Abraham, that you and I would just say, that's preposterous, that's crazy, that's impossible, I cannot do that. But this wasn't Abraham's first rodeo. You see, years ago, God had told Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. I made a promise to you, and I'm going to give you a son. And as the years went by and Abraham didn't have a son, he had to put his faith in the process. And eventually, God gave him a son in a miraculous way. He gave him a son when it was impossible to give him a son. Because Sarah, his wife, was past childbearing years. But because God was faithful in the process, when God told him, you're going to be the father of many nations, and now he only has one son. He trusts God's promise because he had seen God's faithfulness in the process. Sometimes we have to say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you with a little thing. And as I'm trusting you with this little thing, I'm developing the ability to trust you with a bigger thing. And as I'm developing the ability to trust you with a bigger thing, at some point in my life, I'm going to trust you with an impossible thing. See, see, Abraham said, we're going to come back down the mountain. We're going to come back down the mountain because he knew that God was going to be faithful to his promise that through this child, many people on earth, all nations would be blessed. 
So he was able to trust God's promise because he had been faithful in God's process, in God's process. And here's the result. Because Abraham experienced the inconceivable by trusting God with the impossible. In verse 16, it says this. Uh, The angel of the Lord said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Hold on to this. Hold on to the scripture one more time. He said, he said, because you have done this, because you have done this, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will bless you and make you dis- your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. My last point for the sermon. When you trust God with your desires, he'll trust you with your destiny. Jesus said this, except the seed go into the ground and die, it just remains one seed. But if the seed goes into the ground and dies, it produces many seeds. What Jesus is saying is, if you want God to take you where he wants you to go, you need to give up to him the thing that you love the most. You need to be willing to sacrifice to him whatever it is that you're holding on to. Because when you deliver to him your desires, he will deliver to you your destiny. He'll say, listen, don't don't hold back on the things that you love. Give me everything. This is why Abraham was able to be the father of the faithful because the one thing that he loved the most, he was willing to give up for God. And God said, listen, now I can give you your destiny. Your your, your success will never exceed your sacrifice. Is anybody with me this morning? Your, Your success will never exceed. If you're not willing to give anything up, then God cannot give you what he has for you. If you're not willing to open up your life and say, God, I'm going to give you everything, then God cannot take you where he wants you to go. You've got to give him the things that you desire, and then in return, he will give you your destiny. And here's the problem for all of us. The problem for all of us is that none of us do this like Abraham. We don't. We do not. None of us sacrifice like Abraham sacrificed. I would not be able to. I, 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 I want to be a spiritual person. I want to be a man of God. But if God said sacrifice your son, I wouldn't be able to do it. We just, in fact, some of us won't even sacrifice things we like, much less things we love. And God is saying, nobody here. I'm just saying other people online. All y'all up at Eckert Park Nursing Home. No. Uh, We don't do this right. And so we see this picture of Abraham, this champion of the faith, and we look at him and we go, amazing, but I can't do that. There's no way I can do that. I just can't make that happen. Well, here's the beautiful part of the story. I, I want to take you back just to one scripture that at the end of this story. It actually, it was, it was sort of the beginning of the story in verse 6. It said this. It said, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son, Isaac. I want you to just get the picture here. Isaac, the beloved son... The only beloved son is carrying the wooden implements for his own execution up the hill to be sacrificed by his father. Come on. Is anybody with me? Are you catching that image? Isaac is carrying the wood of his own execution up the hill 
to be sacrificed by his father. What the scripture is pointing here is to, to an event, not only that event, but to an event that happened 2,000 years after that. There was another only begotten son who was told to carry the wooden implements of his own execution up the hill to be sacrificed by his father. And here's the, here's the beautiful twist on the story. The beautiful reality of the story is that in the story of Abraham, with Abraham, God sacrificed a, son, a, a ram instead of his beloved son. But with God, he sacrificed his only begotten son instead of us. See, we, we, we are the ones that are carrying the sins of the world until that moment. And then he says, let me place the sins of the world upon the shoulders of my son. Let me sacrifice my only begotten son because I know that in all of your strivings to be faithful and all of the tests that I put you to, you're going to pass some, but you're going to fail some. Sometimes you're going to take a step forward and sometimes you're going to take a step back. Sometimes you're going to do what I've called you to do and sometimes you're going to fail miserably. And I can't leave it up to you as to whether or not you're going to have a relationship with me. Ultimately, I'm going to get you in relationship with me because I'm going to sacrifice my son for your sin. And, 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 and what I want for each and every one of us, this is my prayer for each and every one of us, and then we're going to take communion. My prayer for each and every one of us is that we would, we would understand not just the complexity and grandness and grandeur of this story, but the simplicity of this story. God said, I'm going to sacrifice my son for you. And if you will receive that sacrifice, then he draws you into relationship with him. Abraham was called the friend of God. A friend of God. That, when, when somebody's your friend, you have intimacy with them. That means you know them. That means you know what they're going to do. So when God said, I want you to sacrifice your son, Abraham's like, I know my friend. He's not going to make me do something that I cannot do. Wow. He's not going to put me through that. So I'm going to trust him. And today I just want each and every one of us in our heart to open up our heart and say, God, I trust you with everything. I trust you with my sin. I trust you with my sorrow. I trust you with my pain. I trust you with my grief. Every test that I'm facing, I'm going to trust you with it. I'm going to ask you, Lord, to give me the strength to move through these tests. I want you to graduate me onto the next test. And when I fail, I'm going to lean back on the sacrifice of your son. And I'm going to say, thank God that you covered it all.